HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, what's up? This is John Norris, and you're listening to the Heritage Radio Network. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Hello, Greenhorns. This is Severin. Is this radio live? Can I talk? Yes, you're on the air. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Hello, Greenhorns. This is Severin. This is Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers by young farmers, coming to you from Bushwick and, in this case, Hudson, New York, and Stadison, New York. This is an interview with David from Monkshood Nursery. Hi, David. Hello, Severin. How are you today? I'm pretty good today. How are you today? I'm awesome. Thank you. Doing really good. Enjoying another nice warm day. So it's another warm day on the Hudson River in Stuyvesant. Tell us, tell us what that means for you, what you have going on under the sun. Um, what I have going on under the sun is six acres of vegetables, about a third of which is being planted, and we have a lot of irrigation running to accommodate all this dry weather that we have coming on. We also have, um, because of all the last year's inclement weather for growing in, we have three-quarters of an acre of greenhouse crops this year. So we have about half an acre of organic salad that's coming through that's just looking spectacular. Um, everything that we do here is, you know, certified organic, chemically clean, good food that I would feed to my children and hopefully everybody feeds to theirs. So here you are in the seventh year. Are you in the seventh year of Monkshood Nursery? Monkshood Nursery has been around since 2001, so this is the 11th year of business. And we've actually oh. been on this since 2003, so the ninth year here on this farm. So, so would you explain the sequence of your operation, like what, where you got started, um, with which parts of the business, and then how it evolved and became so complex that you now do green market and CSA and all this two different vans and so many fan clubs popping up around the galaxy, etc. Sure. Monks of Nursery started in 2001, and uh, after being a conventional grower working for so many other people, both in England, in the UK, and in, in America here, um, I was basically emotionally and somewhat physically sick from putting poison on people's foods and, and household plants for so many years, um, decided to go into business to 
start to produce what I'd you know, had a love of doing since I was a child, of, of growing herbs in, in greenhouses and pots and selling them to people um, at farmers markets and shows and festivals. So in 2001, we started a small greenhouse business, about 1,000 square feet of uh, about, 100 and, uh, about 100 different varieties of herbs back then. And um, 2002 was a great, great year for us. 2003, we recognized that we needed more greenhouse space and um, started to look around for another, you know, a place to put another greenhouse, basically, and came across this uh, farm that another organic grower was leaving here in Stuyvesant. And so monks had put up another greenhouse here, um, which actually was a, a free greenhouse from another local grower that was stopping their growing operation. And then so we had one greenhouse here, one greenhouse in Kinderhook. And over the course of the next couple of years, we ended up moving um, the greenhouse from Kinderhook to Stuyvesant and building a couple more greenhouses here. So now we have about... Um, 10,000 square feet of greenhouse space that is actually right here that we have put together. And then um, in 2003, when I moved the greenhouses here, we uh, I walked around and dug some test pits in the soil that's actually on the 82-acre farm that Monks is residing on and discovered that the soils here are just unbelievable. And I would be such a fool not to not to produce organic food here, organic vegetables here. So with the help of a lot of friends and uh, mentors and the good people around, started just with one acre of vegetables with a walk-behind tractor, kind of um, Elliot Coleman-inspired to, to do it that way around. And from then, that one acre and local farmer's market, to two acres and a little more farmer's market, and then to four acres. And then I had a wake-up call when I realized that I was putting lights on this walk-behind tractor so that I could go in the day and the night to go around and around and around and around. And um, so I took a, took a step back and had a look at the operation and how it was growing. And um, about 2005, 2006, um, purchased a, a machine for behind the tractor and borrowed a neighbor's tractor so that I could sit and then work in a, in a day what used to take me a week. So now we have... Um, that was the beginning of local CSA, and then a couple of years later, um, Just Food and Monkshead Nursery got together and were able to put together a couple of delivery sites in Manhattan. So for two, um, maybe three years, we had a good-sized membership in Manhattan of CSA deliveries, and also some local people also. And so we've, we've ended up with this, uh, we've ended up with Monkshead Nursery now has the ability to produce for about 300 CSA members, in addition to doing the, the three green markets that we do in the city and also local farmers markets. And then we also continue to do all of our plant sales, both locally and down in the city. And then in addition to that, we do about half an acre of winter greenhouse salads. So we're basically now in business all year round, um, growing great food for people. Uh, and it's a, it's a pleasure to be here. So there you go. It's a 10-step plan. Start today, and soon you two could be managing nine different greenhouses, uh, four different outlets, and um, and there's some animals, too. I'm anyway. sorry. I didn't catch the beginning of that. Oh, I said... 
<laughs> I said, sounds easy, David. What do you do in your spare time? <laughs> in my spare time, I sleep. But I also like to play the piano. Those, my, so, those are my releases. So you're selling CSA locally and then and then veg and potted plants around around the place uh, seasonally at, at plant sales and then also in the city. And and are there any uh, CSA shares still available? We have um, local CSA shares are still available, and I can be contacted either from the phone at five one eight seven five eight seven nine five eight or David at monksednursery dot com to um, get a hold of more information for local CSA shares. Um, and in terms of plant sales and um, where our farmers markets are, our website monksednursery dot com is a great resource to check out and find out where we are. We also have Twitter at Monkshood Farm on the Twitter thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you tweet from your phone? What's that? Do you tweet from your phone in the greenhouse? I tweet from my phone pretty much everywhere. It's it's really nice. It's like an open open farm diary for people to be able to see what's going on. And you know, I keep on being reminded by my farmers market staff and other people in the city that. You know, in the city or even out in the country here, people don't actually get to see what a farmer is doing every day. They don't understand that, hey, it's 11 o'clock at night, and yes, I am still out there running a sprinkler. Just because that's what the, you know, that's what the plants dictate that I do now. So really, so really, this is a way for, to extend the stress to other people so that they can experience it vicariously as, like, um... Not entertainment, but kind of practicing cultural solidarity. I think people really, really like to see the amount of energy that a farmer puts into producing the food that they eat. And, uh, you know, I think one, one of my dreams is to have, um, is to be able to take pictures of the farm from specific points and be able to have people from their, their computers watch things basically grow from their desktops. I understand that so many people spend so much time set at the computer, they might really enjoy seeing that, you know, what now is just a brown field, goes through the whole season day by day, and watch all of that produce grow and be cultivated and harvested, and know that they're part of eating it. So there is a good mandate for a technologist in the, in the, in the audience. You need the time left time-lapse technician. Um, David, after so many years of working in commercial horticulture and managing the, uh, managing the conditions for optimum plant growth in big, big, high-cash operations, could you maybe share a little bit of what you learned about like, nutrient management and, 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 and greenhouse growing for those who are perhaps starting on a small scale? Like, what are some of the mistakes that you often see in other people's greenhouse operations that you wish they would make? What are the mistakes that I see in other people's greenhouse operations that I would like to help them with? Is yeah. to really, really think it through before you begin something. Because, um, I mean, here's a, a fairly obvious but yet somewhat massively overlooked thing, is that if you build a greenhouse somewhere and you put plants in it, you're going to water them every single day. And so you need to have great access to really good quality water. And there are so many resources out 
uh, through university extension or through you know water quality people for such a tiny amount of money. I think a, like a good water test is about thirty five dollars, and um, you know if you're growing in the in the soil, then have the soil tested. You know, really think it through the whole crop through or the whole. If you think about a greenhouse as being a crop, the whole ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty years that that greenhouse is going to be there. And can it have access to either, you know, energy or water or electricity or people to staff it with? Are all of these things present when you're building a greenhouse operation? Because you can guarantee that if you build one greenhouse within a couple of years, you're going to be wanting to build another one. So plans for expansion should be just part of building your first greenhouse. And so, you know, and also to think about the populations that are in the greenhouse, be it people or be it pests and disease or um, you know, the, the management of the different cycles that go through. One of the things that I learned from working in very chemically intensive greenhouses is that when a, a pest comes to the greenhouse and then you, um, you, know, you notice the pest in the greenhouse through monitoring the populations, if you were to buy in the predators to to eat those pests with, and so on and so on, you end up with an accumulation of different pests in the greenhouse. And then should you choose to spray in that greenhouse, then of course you're going to kill the pests or the majority of the pests, but you're also going to kill those pest predators. And so you end up with a population that's, that's left of just the pest that is now resistant to the, the herbicide, or to the pesticide that you might have used, but also no predators left to it. Um, to attack them with. And the predators take so much longer to come back than the pests do that you end up with a cycle of constant defeat. So if you choose to run your greenhouses differently, which is what I learned and what I've been practicing since 2001, is not to use any poison in the greenhouse whatsoever and to focus really intensively on what pest population are present, what predators can I use to combat them with, or do I need to discard that crop? Because honestly, that's what I would rather do now is throw something away rather than put poison on people's food. Well, I, as a person who eats your food with great with great contentment, uh, I'm thankful for for your for your commitment. And I wonder how how big of an operation, like, like you know, to me, I think, wow, that's a lot of greenhouses. And I don't see that many around here, people who have more greenhouse, you know, than three greenhouses. Um, could you maybe, like, reflect on how greenhouse growing exists in, like, the context of in the English countryside compared to here? Sure. Um, we have a, a very different, um, obviously, very different climate in England than, than it's here because winter is very short and very mild, and here almost half of the year is winter, um, which really limits what can be produced outside from you know, November all the way through until the end of April, particularly up in the northeast here. So in the UK, it's used more as a, a season extension, or for food production, it's used more as season extension rather than environment total modification. Um, uh, you know, it's very interesting that just covering covering crops outside with what what 
uh, called like hay grow panels or very simple greenhouse structures, really um, reduces the water requirement of the crop and increases the crop quality so that the shelf life of the product and the quality of the product goes dramatically up um, and the inputs that are required to produce it go significantly down. So it's um, in the UK, you know, there's many, many acre after acre after acre of, um, you know, row, row tunnel crops. Um, and in the US, I mean, we're starting to see more and more of it, particularly up here. But of course, the structures have to be different because of the snow load that occurs or can occur here in the Northeast. And, and do you anticipate that that will continue, that we'll see more and more as the local food uh, market share increases, that we'll have more and more winter growing and that we'll follow Elliot Coleman right down the rabbit hole of four season growing and follow you along with him? I think it's um, really simple to see that for good, fresh, local food, depending on crop selection, the uh, the high tunnels and the, the row, row cover for outside production or for, you know, in, in the greenhouse production of winter crops is just going to continue to expand and expand and expand. You know, it becomes really apparent when you eat a salad that was harvested yesterday compared to a salad that was harvested two weeks ago and then shipped halfway around the world. It becomes so apparent just in our own testing system, just as people eating food. You know, which one do we want to eat? We want to eat to, you know, yesterday's food or food that is measured in how many hours it was since it was harvested instead of when does this become unacceptable for human consumption. We're going to see a massive change in that trend. And I think that a lot of that can be dictated by or the use of the winter greenhouses is, is going to increase demand for that exponentially. I hope that you're right. I feel that you might be right. I, I would like to be a part of that, that direction. And, and so as a final question, as you've gone along this way, um, what have, where have you turned for inspiration and support? Where would you counsel others who are navigating, especially, you know, coming from a lens? Here you came into America and started very, very small and managed to be now on quite a significant land base. Uh, will you reflect a little on the attitude or the institutions that allowed you to get to that place? Sure. Well, and just in, in contrast, when I was working in conventional agriculture, horticulture, I felt that most neighboring businesses were not um, interested in communicating with each other, and you know everybody felt that it was a very competitive market marketplace. And it would seem that in organic agriculture, in biodynamic agriculture, there's a uh, a definite community being built, um, and people sharing ideas. And so it has been, I mean, it will continue to be, and it always has been a pleasure to be a part of this community of people who actually really are passionate about what they're doing, passionate about the food that they're making, and about the communities that they're building. And um, there is no problem, for example, in many growers coming together to put together an order that will 
fill up a tractor trailer load, say, of, of um, potting soil or whatever it might be, so that we can all share the burden of these very high expenses. Which you just, I mean, I never saw that really in conventional ag. You know, it was, you know, spit in the eye of your brother rather than feed your brother. And here in, here in the Northeast, thanks to many, many organizations, Greenhorns included, um, it's definitely a case of let's feed everybody good food. Good plan, good plan. So now here we are, it's April. It's really hot, you've got a lot to do. You're very kind to come on the radio and and tell us about the business and the sequence of, of order. And, and David is also a presenter at Hawthorne Valley for their Farm Beginnings class, which is a farmer training program sponsored by the USDA's Beginning Farmer and Rancher Development Program. It's a business planning course for young and beginning and new and old and retiring beginning farmers. Uh, what what do you need from the world? And, and if somebody was interested to figure out what they could do to be in support of your mission, what could they do? What I would love to see for the future of Monkshood Nursery is for it to add to the learning base for the young farmers or for new farmers, people who are coming from whatever background and want to learn how to produce and how to follow through all the way through from getting their hands dirty initially all the way through to the final product at market and being at market repeatedly. And I think the location amongst the nursery and the community that it's building is going to provide an amazing base for um, bringing on new farmers, helping them through the first struggles of being in business and then sending them on so they're in a position to lease land from other farmers. So I think that um, my part in this is to continue to do what I'm doing, which is to produce lots of food and keep on building the community. And I think that at some point, somebody is going to come along who says, hey, I can help you with this idea of growing new growers. Oh, I like that idea. And then also I think you have some CSA shares for those who are listening in the Hudson Hudson Columbia County region. What day is your pickup at the farm? Pick up at the farm is on Fridays, and we um, we harvest on Thursday and Friday for the pickup shares, and um, there are still shares available. Um, sounds, yeah. sounds like a plan. Favorite favorite books? Final thoughts? Anything anything else that we just we didn't make any we didn't make any mistakes? Did we? No. No no mistakes. <laughs> no choose choose with your mouth and choose with your dollar. Choose with your mouth and choose with your dollar. So that's mm-hmm. another episode of, of Greenhorn Radio. This has been David from Monkhood Nursery in Stuyvesant, New York, right on the Hudson River. Beautiful farm, certified organic, and a great place to learn and a great place to eat. This is a good week to think about this coming season and think about what you'll do with your precious weekend moment. If you are considering... If you're considering some weekend adventures, I hope you will consider Farm Hacks. That's the weekend of the 28th and 29th of April in Burlington, Vermont, and in Essex, New York. It's a two-day-long collaborative workshop between farmers and engineers hosted by Farm Hack, Essex Farm, Intervale, NRCS, Nationally Owned Farmers Coalition, Greenhorns, and the weekend following is the New York 
City Book Fair. It's a fair for books about food, farming, and cooking. Uh, there's also a possibility posse on the 5th of May, the collaboration between Greenhorns and Trade School. That's in the city. The weekend of the 12th of May is the Brooklyn Food Conference. There's really something going on pretty much every weekend, and if you plan ahead and carpool and set yourself up, you may be able to tear yourself away from your greenhouse duties. Uh, but plan ahead. So thank you all for listening, and talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you, Severin. Thank you, David. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.